Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Hi everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waiting List Podcast. I am joined today by my co-host, Daniel. And in case for those wondering what happened to Jacqueline, she will be back very, very soon. We promise. I am trying to contain my excitement, but I have wanted to interview this guest for a while now. He is my friend, Zili, better known as at happy 60 mins minutes on IG. So welcome to the show, Zili. Hi, um, Ron. Hi, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. I want to say, um, I want to keep this episode professional. So let's just keep the singing to a minimal. Um, I also want to add that this is going to be a tough episode for me because I really absolutely hate complimenting my friends and seeing them smile. <laughs> so let's also keep the smiling to a minimum. <laughs> like, look at your face now. Okay, just stop that. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, is there something I'm not aware of? Is Jilly really good at singing? Yeah, he, he's really good at singing. Is he, is he one of those people that thinks he's good at singing or is he actually good at singing? I think he's good at singing. Okay. But then, no, I'm... you haven't heard me sing, but, but you assume that I can sing. So okay, it's somewhere along I guess that's a good uh, guy. Jay Cho, Zhou <laughs> uh, uh, Lun and JJ Lin level. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. I'll take that. But before before we yeah. start, right, I have to yeah. mention this. Yeah, that before the podcast, right, to all the audience here, oh, I just have to God. tell you guys. I just have to tell you guys. Like, <laughs> Long Long told me that like she watched Top Gear, the Top Gun, and that she you know asked me if I'd seen it, and I hadn't seen the latest one because because uh, it's actually you know av- not available in China. I can't watch it. And she goes, no, 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 I watched the first one. And they were talking about the scenes in it. And I was talking about how, how like uh, Tom Cruise throws the dog tags into the sea and everything and how cool that is. And then she goes, yeah, it's really sad when uh, Tom Cruise is trying to save his dad in the sea. I was like, <laughs> what? Save his dad? Like, that's not his dad. That's Goose. But I was like, I mean, Julia just like, jaw dropped to that like <laughs> did she just say dad no the way she's totally like not got that movie at all okay, like I'm, a big I'm part gonna... of that movie like why he's maverick why he's like that his dad never existed like come on i'm gonna edit that part out because i meant okay if you watch the second one goose's son comes back and then there's that whole scene with like goose crying and whatever so that's what i meant okay never mind it's too complicated for you <laughs> Okay, first question. Okay, so we have to start with the name. Happy 60 Minutes. It could sound very wrong in another context. <laughs> so please explain how you came up with that name. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm trying not to laugh. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's stay professional. So I, I put it in my bio, actually, because really, happy hour was taken. Mm. That was it. Yeah, because I, I wanted to create an account that meant, um, you know, how... At 5 p.m., we have our happy hour, our beer. To me, this starting this account was just an avenue to relax. Yeah. So happy hour was taken. So happy 60 minutes. Mm. Yeah. All right. So um, so my first compliment is coming. Your photos are <laughs> this sounds so fake, but your photos are mind-blowingly good. How did you get into photography? So who taught you? 
Okay, specifically for watch photography, it would actually be someone called Wan Yu, and uh, she's on IG as well. She's mm-hmm. uh, at Dilly Trim. I think mm. you guys probably oh, yeah, know yeah, about yeah. her. Okay. Yeah, she does crazy macros, so big yeah. shout out to her. And then uh, when I first started, I absolutely didn't know what I was doing, and I wasn't equipped with the right equipment. Uh, I was I didn't have the right equipment as well. Uh, the the only time I used the camera was when I traveled. Mm-hmm. So coincidentally, uh, with COVID, obviously we couldn't travel. And that was also when I started the account, the Instagram account. Uh, for years, I didn't have Instagram. In fact, I didn't even use social media. Um, then when I started picking on the camera again, I thought mm, it's probably a good idea for me to start shooting what I like. So when you're cooked up at home, so it was two months of lockdown in Singapore, right? So the only thing I could do was to shoot. And the things that were lying around was actually watches. Mm. So I started shooting the watch uh, with just a standard camera. Uh, what I mean by that, by standard, is that it's a, it's not a macro lens. It's um, just one of those portrait lens, to mm. put it simply. And then uh, after messing around a while, I started seeing and following more accounts. I, I chanced upon Delitrium. I chanced upon actually someone called Waitlisted, which I'm sure you all know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, Waitlisted's photos were kind of my inspiration. Mm-hmm. And then I decided, okay, I think I better start getting serious about this. Uh, maybe in a geeky sense. Uh, but actually, I wouldn't... Actually, photography is kind of my second love. Uh, and another thing I like to do is to write. So as you can probably tell by my super long, sometimes overly long captions, uh, actually writing is more of my first love. Mm-hmm. But then I thought on Instagram, maybe it's not the perfect platform for long form caption, right? People mm-hmm. just probably look at nice photos. And then I decided to get more serious into photography. And that was how I started. All right. So I've got a question straight off the bat, which is like, what made you want to do the Instagram after Instagram has been out for a while now? Um, what was it that, you know, made you want to do it? I guess to answer that, I'll answer why I didn't want to do it at the start was, I guess I'm rather private, which is also why I use a pseudonym like Happy 60 Minutes instead of my real name. And I don't really show my face. Uh, But then, you know, after, I guess, friends, they kept commenting and said that, hey, dude, your your photos are actually quite nice uh, and you can write. So why not just start posting them? And I guess really out of boredom because two months of not doing anything, lockdown, uh, I decided to to just get started. And uh, I mean, I've, always, I've actually thought about it, but never really gotten to doing it. So I guess COVID was a good time for everyone. Or, you know, I'm sure everyone picked up a new skill somewhat over COVID. So I, I guess that was me trying to shoot better or write better. Yeah. London could eat a lot more. Mm, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm surprised it really really excelled in that actually but uh <laughs> Julie I wanted to also ask you know when you take these photographs which are stunning by the way yeah I'll give you a compliment too um how much is the gear like how much when you to take that kind of photo how much are you spending on your camera the lens the lighting just to give people an idea of the investment not only time investment but financial investment Okay, I would say you really don't have to spend... The first advice I would, I would say, if it helps, is that it's really not about a gear. 
So the first time someone told me that was actually James, uh, waitlisted. Mm. I asked him, and it's very nice. Uh, he really didn't have to answer to this random dude's question, right? But he was very nice, very kind. He said, it is not about the gear. And to you, as someone new, you'll be thinking, and for the rest of you listening as well, you'll be thinking, ah, what bullshit, right? You, it must be the gear, it must be the gear. But after a while, you know, I started off with uh, Fujifilm. The exact camera is a Fujifilm X-T2. For those of you who are, you know, camera nuts, you probably know that that's not exactly the best of camera. It's just a mirrorless. It costs about, I think you can buy the camera for two grand mm. now. And the lens is probably slightly more expensive. It's almost as expensive as the body to the camera body today. Uh, that's because it's a proper macro lens. Right? It lets you, you know, like shoot insects and stuff, right? So, like, who uh, want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, I, we all we both know a friend who likes to shoot, uh, who love wildlife, and that's yeah, horror lots, right? Yeah, but that's wildlife, not insects. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah, the it's really not about the equipment, but of course, you should have at least the basic, which, in my opinion, is any camera today, whether it's a mirrorless or full frame, mm. uh, it will set you back about two grand, two and a half. And then the lens is probably something that I would highly recommend getting a macro lens instead. Because just for that, you know, the sharp, the sharpness and the details that you can capture with macro. Mm. And then it's about, for me, uh, less about the financial investment, but rather the time investment, which I think Dan brought up correctly, is that I spend more time than, than money on this trying to figure out how to shoot. Because uh, it's really about, in my opinion, it's about shooting. It's like, it's like for, I like wines as well, right? I think Long will know. Mm. To me, you can read about, to use the analogy, right? to make an example of that is, you can read all about wines. You can read every day but you won't learn anything about it until you taste it. So it's the same for photography and many things also, right? You, mm-hmm. you don't learn how to cook. You actually cook. Mm-hmm. Don't, not by reading it, right? But actually cooking. So mm-hmm. to me, I think a lot of it comes from actually shooting it and clicking the shutter. A lot of us just think mm-hmm. about it. And mm-hmm. I think with, thankfully with COVID as well, I guess it's a silver lining, is that I actually have the time to practice and to really think about how to shoot, how to go about shooting, you know, con- coming up with concepts about what kind of style I want, mm. uh, what kind of angles I want, yeah. uh, which, and we all, we, we all know that watches uh, have, have details that most people wouldn't see until you take a look, which is where the macro lens comes in. Then. So you're really highlighting the practical experience you need and which you can only gain by actually doing it, right? But, you know, you've mentioned James waitlisted, his Instagram's waitlisted, at waitlisted, that he has a style that you, you know, aspire to have as well. Um, what is it about that style that resonated with you? Because I would say, you know, Swiss watch gang, he takes some pretty decent photos. Personally, I love... Um, Collected man style. Mm. I love collected man style. I love like Jacqueline's style, mm. right? That that's what I would love to replicate. Um, which James from Waitlist isn't. Um, what is it about that style that you particularly like? Great question. 
I thought about this actually. And because I like to write, I, in fact, I wrote a whole lot about it. And in fact, okay, to add on to Jacqueline's style, to a collective men's style, there's another one. Uh, I'm not sure if you know Singapore Watch Club, Tom and Hosanna. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they, they do the same style, right? Excellent, yeah. beautiful photos. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's why I like James's slash waitlisted style is more of how it's just about the watch. Of course, we, we all have different philosophy, right? So for example, a collected man, Singapore Watch Club, uh, they, they tend to shoot, they want to replicate the watch in its natural environment, an environment that is more humanized, perhaps, right? Like it's how we would see the watch in a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Exactly, lifestyle, normal setting, maybe in a magazine, perhaps. But in some sense, I started off uh, liking product style photos, right? So moody, just very dark and black. But then when I saw waitlisted photos, I realized uh, it doesn't have to be boring. I mean, there are, there are people obviously thinking, oh, wow, it's just a watch. Oh, why don't you add some props? I get a lot of that question. Why don't you add a bit more props, make it more interesting? But just as a personal idea and philosophy, I prefer to let the watch do the talking. And just to master the light of how the light shines on a watch. And then there's different kinds of watches with curved glass, like your Cartiers, your RMs. Mm. Just to master all this. I, I, in fact, I'm still learning how to master them, right? Mm. Just to learn how to shoot the watch itself is already something. It's already a challenge, enough of a challenge for me. Mm. Mm. And then if you got to put all the props in, Mm. Uh, I, I think this is, a, this is actually a quote from Tom Chung of uh, SWC, right? He says, it's just putting the stuff, once you set it up, it's just putting the stuff around it and make it look like a lifestyle shot, right? But mm-hmm. he's obviously downplaying the, the importance of having the aesthetic eye, yeah. which, mm-hmm. I mean, have I tried it before? Yes, I have actually. Uh, some of my shots, I tried to incorporate more, perhaps natural light. And yeah, so mm-hmm. that's another thing, right? Natural lighting. Mm. so maybe Jacqueline um, mm. ACM style would be natural light by the window kind of thing yeah yeah. but mine would definitely be studio which yeah. uh, James uh, Waylister uses as well mm. and because I want control simply put right I want yeah. to have control over exactly how the shot would turn out yeah. mm. so for me I guess um, it goes back to how I think that photos are secondary to my post because when I look at a post, I actually conceive the story first. And then I think about how the picture will come in to fit and like what part of the watch do I want to show yeah. that reflects what I'm going to say in the caption. Mm. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, I actually wanted to just clarify. I have a lot of friends who also take photos of watches and they always talk about, I'm trying to capture the essence of the watch, right? I actually don't understand at all what they're saying. Are you trying to say the watch has a personality that you're trying to showcase or like uh, there's a mood that I'm supposed to feel from wearing this watch? I guess I could counter ask you the, the same question by saying, how do you feel when you wear your Tortue Monopoly sock, right? How do you feel when you wear your Dufograph? Okay. Yes, I, I think it's very much a feeling. Uh, okay. Not trying to be... i'm not trying to make it sound iffy right but yes i would say it's about a feeling it's about um 
how I feel when I when I hold the watch or how I feel. So actually, before I shoot, mm-hmm. I usually take a while. I, I don't post very often, as you can tell. Maybe once a week, perhaps. And that's because I actually wear the watch. Something mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, I got inspired by Hodinki with their A mm-hmm. Week on the Risk yeah. series. Yeah. Yeah. And in order to, you know, even sometimes I borrow watches from uh, Horror Lux, mm-hmm. Watch Candies. Uh, I, I shoot some of my friends' watches. They're very kind, of course, to trust mm-hmm. me with the watch for like a few days, right? And I do that at the risk of actually, you know, damaging and losing the watch. Mm-hmm. These are very precious watches, but yeah. I do that and they trust me to do that because I told them that I wanted to feel how the watch wears mm-hmm. and how it makes me think about a certain concept and then I can translate that idea into a story. And that's okay. how... I, I don't know so, how... Yeah. So which watch have you enjoyed shooting the most and which watch um, particularly resonated with you well that's a tough one i've actually shot yeah. quite a fair bit uh, i would say i would say okay maybe maybe just as a bonus question i'll answer two right yeah um the nicest watch to shoot uh-huh. are obviously the skeletons right because you just have a lot more details to look at and a lot more to shoot. Yeah. But also a lot more challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, one watch that has resonated a lot with me, I think in recent times, I would say it's probably Watch Candy's um, Richard Mill. Uh, yeah. I know it sounds quite crass. Yeah. Uh, you knew it, sure. Yeah, because we've got <laughs> okay, skeleton. But- and I just thought the one watch that just seems so out of place like on the feed like in terms of like whoa i did not see this coming yeah yeah okay and because i guess uh dan's question was what left the most impression right mm-hmm. and uh to me i've never handled a original meal before that mm-hmm. and i'll be honest right i used to this upon yeah meal. and yeah. I think it's way overpriced for what it is. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't keep time well. And we could the list could go on, right? Yeah. But after handling it and realizing, you know, you really have to wear the watch to believe what and why it's such a crazy watch and why it costs as such today. I mean, sure, uh, secondary market prices aside, uh, it left an impression on me because when I wore it, uh, like I said, I, I, I wear it around the room uh, just to feel it. I was so impressed at the whole architecture of it and how light it was and just the whole concept of the watch, right? And I think to me, the it's probably a Richard Mew that, that blew me away from just shooting. Mm. Oh, okay. From the shooting angle. But yeah, having said right. that, you talked about like the skeletonized or open work stuff being interesting to take a photo because of the intricacy of you know, certain parts of the fact a watch is open work. But if you turn the watch back and you looked at a case back, you could argue the same point that is equally as intricate, right? And equally interesting to take a photo of. Um, so, yeah, do not feel that. I agree. Um, yeah. In fact, that's also a personal, um, my collecting 
I guess, I don't know if you can call it philosophy, is that I try to look for watches with open case back mm-hmm. because it's twice, mm-hmm. the viewing, it's twice the viewing pleasure, which is also why one of my favorite brands, uh, one of my favorite brands is Langer. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and it's how they have, they always have open case bags. Except, of course, the, the first uh, longer ones with the closed case bags, right? But mm. other than that, they've always had display case bag because, yeah, of course, they're proud of their finishing, right? So I agree. And which is also why I particularly enjoy shooting specifically longer case bag. Okay. Yeah. It, more so than the, the front of, uh, more so than the down side. I like to shoot the case bag. Yeah. Do, do, do you now find that with as you're curating your um, Instagram feed, that you're looking at photos and thinking, like, it's a good photo, but you're thinking, oh, I can't post that. It's, like, not perfect. Like, are you getting picky with what you actually put as a permanent post to the point where it's almost disabling because you think, oh, I don't, I don't want to post that. I don't want to post that. What should I post? Oh, I can't post that. But actually, all of the shots are pretty good, right? <laughs> Funny you ask that. That's, that's my daily struggle, actually. So I'm yeah. always quite dissatisfied and you'll be surprised how many times I ask um, waitlisted and Deletrium and I, and, you know, they're very nice and we're friends. We, we chat all the time. I'll send them a pic and I say, what do you think of this? And then of course they'll be nice and say, oh, it's great. It's great. Uh, and it's about what you think. It's not about what we think. Right. So just post it, just post it. But yeah, I, I do nitpick on certain things. And, but you see that in, in some sense, because, especially with my friends' watches, watches that I don't own, I don't get a reshoot, right? I mean, I could I could ask for a reshoot, but, you know, just a bit pisey, which, oh, sorry, but for the rest of the audience, it's um, just yeah. a little bit embarrassed and yeah. shy to yeah. ask for the watch again, right? So I would, I, I even look at it from a professional angle, like how professional photographers, let's say they go to, Basel work, okay, I mean, now it's Watches and Wonder, right, for example, and they they only have X amount of time to shoot a watch and they don't get repeats. So I, I also try to challenge myself to, to shoot with it and constrain. And then when I shoot it, I tell myself I don't get a second chance. And that's how I get to move forward. And that's how I actually live with posting. So looking back on my feet, yes, I do cringe at my older posts, but mm. Yes, I could have archived the photos. Right? For example, I even thought about hiding or archiving those photos. But I look at it as a journey, right? It's as cliche as it sounds. Um, I look back, I cringe, but I'm happy to say that, okay, um, I've actually come pretty far, mm. right? Okay. And um, I, I quite enjoy, in fact, I quite enjoy looking at the older posts to remind me to keep trying. Because mm. like anyone, I sometimes get bored. I sometimes, you know, life happens, right? You have a lot of other things to do. And shooting is really a hobby. But, and I still look at it as something I really enjoy to do. So uh, I, I try to look at it with a different lens, every, literally a different lens also. Yeah. Whenever like I look pun. at a Yeah, watch. nice one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to ask, um, you mentioned that like photography is a passion of yours, writing is a passion of yours. Where does watches like fall into this? You know, you've got people on the podcast uh, arms up in the air. What like come on, he didn't mention watches as a passion. Like, mm-hmm. did you guys get the right guest on? <laughs> okay. Um, 
where did the passion start right was it no, like question? where does where does watches fit in like in terms of how passionate you are and okay i guess just a subject matter because you could pick anything really you could pick a coke can you could pick yeah <laughs> i guess i've always kind of liked watches actually it started with my dad and um but he's all in on sports watches and basically aps right um but when i really got passionate about watches actually was after i mean was rather recent maybe was in 20 when i started working actually you know when obviously as a student you you probably don't have the money nor the time to look at watches you were studying right except unless you're jack then you probably can but <laughs> <laughs> sorry jack yeah then um, <laughs> but but i look at it but i look at it now i when i first started uh, i still remember my first uh, watch was the iwc big pilot right mm. and i guess the passion came in because you know we've always again kind of cliche had a kind of fascination with mechanical things yes um obviously i like to wear Uh, I look at it as an accessory at the start. I got the big pilot because I'll admit because it looked really handsome on John Mayer's wrist. And you know, back in the days, Hodinkee was actually the only legit uh, watch publication, right? And John and Mayer was John Mayer was a columnist. Yes, correct. He was writing for Hodinkee, yeah. and he was all in on big pilot. So to me, it just really was more of an a nice accessory to have at the start. And then I got curious about the power reserve, right? So as we know, Big Pilot has the seven-day power reserve, which got me interested. And then I was wondering, what is that? And believe it or not, I'll, I'll say this. I'll put it out there, right? Embarrassing as it is, I didn't even know that you could wind a watch with the crown, right? So I went, I wore the watch. I thought you know you could just shake the watch and wear it, and you just keep rotating and winding the watch because I could hear that it was winding the watch yeah, yeah. because of the peloton system, right? Because the clicks are very loud. Mm. So I stupidly just kept shaking my arm and wore it around the house and watched the power reserve creep up. So I guess <laughs> it's always fast. It's always kind of fascinated me with mechanical things. It goes back to the same thing, right? I was you can't do that with a quartz watch, obviously, right? So, uh, I guess the passion from there started, and to me, now more than ever, um, of course, there's writing and photography as well. But I think it's more of a style. It's still very much a stylistic thing for me. Uh, the first question I ask myself before I buy a watch is. Do I like the look of the watch? And to me, it's always been kind of aesthetic to start with. Mm. Yeah, that would be really funny if you're walking around the house with a quartz watch, like shaking your hand as though you're in the club or something. Like that would be the definition of insanity. Like I just you, you'd be trying to, am I crazy or you crazy? Like there must be something I'm missing here, right? Like, yeah, I but. I, it's funny you mentioned IWC as your first watch. I don't really hear that many people mention it as their mm -hmm. first watch, actually. Um, and however, I did have an interest in it from my first watch, which was an Omega. Um, 
you know, I was really enamored by the Portuguesa. Like I was like, wow, that is amazing dress watch. So elegant and, and stuff, right? And then I kind of like quickly moved beyond it. So I don't know if that's the case because I'm pretty sure like in the IWC lineup, the big pilot is a pretty strong model, right? I don't think it's necessarily mm -hmm. the Portuguesa. Um, but now, you know, I'm looking back at IWC and I'm looking like at the Ingenieur 1832. You know, I just think that is like the most classic, you know underrated watch and yeah it's just a it's just a it's just a brand that i kind of missed as i went up and then kind of didn't have interest in you but there i understand there's a huge fellowship i mean like long do you know many collectors that are really into iwc definitely not but um i went to the boutique recently just because I think the new, God, it sounds like I'm a Top Gun fan, but because it said like <laughs> Top Gun something. And then I was like, oh, okay, let me go and see. And then I was shocked by the prices. I really felt so poor. Like I, I was like, yeah, this is going to be like HKD 38,000, like roughly like 5k USD kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, it wasn't. And I was like, hello, you're IWC. And then, but obviously I didn't say that, but I just was like, okay, I'm poor. <laughs> then, uh, there's a few things, you know, we should take away from that is one, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't complain now at any boutique because you can actually, if you can actually get a watch, well done to you. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. so many times we go to boutiques now, we can't even get anything. And number two, you know, Please get it right. You are not a Top Gun fan because no yes. Top Gun fan would say that Goose, yeah, is Tom is Maverick's father. So you are definitely no Top Gun fan. Okay? I am a Top Gun. You're only a fan of that movie no. in literally a 10 second frame where he's playing volleyball, uh -huh. and we all know the reasons why. I know so many things about that movie. You can test me again. Uh, I'll just answer anything. Okay. Any, anyways, my point is, uh, yeah. IWC is one of those uh, brands with a big question mark. I know they're doing well. Marketing seems great, but just, yeah, kind of forgotten kind of thing. Yeah, and, and I agree, actually, on that note, uh, which is why recently when I picked up the Da Vinci, mm. I don't know if you guys saw, but um, I was shocked. That's nice. Because I first, yeah, because when I saw the watch, yeah, it was actually on a friend's, friend's uh, IG story that they reposted. Mm -hmm. I couldn't recognize what that watch was. Yeah. And then on closer inspection, what? IWC made this? Mm -hmm. And then I dug a little deeper and you know, we all know how the story goes from there, right? And you realize, mm -hmm. wow, you know, IWC has the Da Vinci line. Mm -hmm. They created, you know, the, the with Harbring, right? The Roger Pond, which they mm -hmm. call the mm -hmm. double chronograph. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Kurt Klaus's uh, crown operated perpetual. And you could say, even that the 80s to even the early 90s was kind of like IWC's golden years, right? They, they had so mm. many mm. innovations coming up. Mm. And mm. would I say that the today's releases, like say the, the same reason why you're walking into a boutique is because of Top Gun, right? And personally, yeah. I've observed that as well. <laughs> you got the different colors. They call it the colors yeah. of the Top Gun, right? Yeah. You got your white, green, mm -hmm. blue, and to most people, you would just be very fatty. It would just be a fat, um, yeah. and it feels that way to most people. But then, actually, when you actually you when you wear the watch, when you feel the watch, I I was surprised myself. Right? Mm. 
I I never thought I would buy into hype normally, but I mean it actually mm-hmm. feels quite nice because the ceramic is is matte finish, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. it adds to the whole yeah uh military look of it, the more stealthy yeah. look of it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Long Long went in yeah. to look for Tom Cruise's abs, and she yeah, left disappointed. I sure did. Yeah, like yeah. You turn back the time thirty years, you'll see the apps. Yeah. I mean, on 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 your point though, the big pilot, which I think you know IWC is like probably really most famous for, is a very masculine watch. You know, when you wear it, it, I can see why Long Long you know didn't see it because it's so masculine. Um, it's got a lot of presence, and it really it really does fit well with like. The Top Gun movie, the character in it, you know, because so, so masculine in that movie, right? But if you watch the second one, as a real fan would, you would also watch the second one, <laughs> okay? But um, in the second one, you're just like this product placement is insane. It's like stopwatch, <laughs> pause, IWC, and then um, every single like shot, you're like, okay, they obviously like highlighted the watch. It's super crisp and clear and everything, yeah. Actually, on that note, right? Yeah. Which other to both of you? It's a question to both of yeah. you. Can you think of any other movie that has such a strong connection with a watch brand or a particular model? Yeah. Zero zero seven, double seven, and James Bond, and then I make a Seamaster. Okay, not brand, yeah. but like Crazy Rich Asians. There was so much focus on the watch. You know, the Paul Newman, right? Yeah, the Paul Newman, like yeah. it. it it was just so well researched. Like, obviously, you're not gonna buy a blinged out Rolex. It was like so classy and, yeah. Anyways, okay. I want to talk yeah. about your writing hobby because all three of us here really love to read. Dan mostly comics, but that's no count. <laughs> um, I want to. I didn't know. see that one coming. Nice one. Very <laughs> good. Long so. Yeah. Now you are a comedian as well. Okay. Well, well done. <laughs> Okay, so what I want to know is, is this really your real voice? Like how you think and how you write? Or is this like a separate persona? Because it's funny when I actually, when we hang out and I listen to you talk, you are actually like that. You think a lot and you think deep and you think about deep questions. So yeah, I guess you answered it, right? Okay, so you're just- In some sense, yes. Actually, that's, yeah, I would say it's, how I how I write is pretty much how I speak as well. I would like to think that at least. So you have you have to be the judge. And if according to you, I am like that, then I guess yes, I am quite true to how I am. I guess mm. I I do think a fair bit to my own detriment sometimes. Mm. But I would say um, it's I like to I like to see that it's like watchers, right? Um, one glance. For example, I'll give you an example. In a watch analogy, you'll be like glancing at Jacqueline's wrist and then you see, oh, that's a, you know that's a Patek. You know that's a 3970, for example. Mm. And then on a closer glance, and then you realize, oh, wait, that it has a Brigade 12, right? And then you'll be thinking, oh, wait, what's that? So to me, uh, there's a lot of layers to, to things around us. Mm-hmm. And when I picked up this photography hobby, mm. it is it also taught me to look deeper into things. Mm. And I guess it's also how I am that I like to think about random stuff, which again, 
uh, I guess it's kind of good when it comes to shooting and writing mm. uh, because I like to inspect. So it, it gives me a lot of insight as well when I, when I think about the, the watch that I'm wearing, about how I feel when I wear it. Okay. Okay, my second and final compliment for you today. I want to say I really love how provoking your, like thought-provoking your posts are. And on one of the posts, you write about a JLC Reverso. And it's a TT1931, to be exact. So for those who can't Google this, it's basically simple black dial, two-hander, and a closed case back. And to quote you, you wrote, I say this as someone who owns a CentOS 100. In fashion, they say trends come and go. Style is forever. So what are you suggesting? <laughs> like CentOS is just fashion? No. Uh, actually, that, that is a quote uh, I think most people will be familiar with, right? I'm, I'm not exactly sure who is the, who is the origin Mm -hmm. where is the origin of that quote but what I meant to say was that the reversal is definitely something that is timeless mm -hmm. and for the Santos uh, at that point I'll admit that maybe I thought that Cartier was almost like a, was kind of just to be actually mm -hmm. more jewelry mm -hmm. but then again I'll admit that was due to my own I guess uh inadequacy because I didn't realize Cartier has such a strong uh, history of watches, right? In terms of their shapes. And actually you, your Tortue Monopoisol was the first one mm. that opened my eyes to how Cartier was not just about, you know, cool shapes or funky mm -hmm. shapes, right? Mm. The movement, was it TH? Is, is it THA? THA, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And that really made me, and that's actually the one Cartier I would love to have and, mm. and I've been trying to find actually so uh, thanks to you and um, hello Cartier you so yeah no that? I'm not not throwing shade not throwing shade at Cartier or anyone just saying that uh, at that point yeah. uh, but good spot actually good spot yeah oh. at that point I thought that the reversal was the rectangular watch to have for me okay yeah. okay but no, it's hard one yeah. I would say it's hard like reverso Cartier tank yeah it's hard it's hard yeah um, I, I, I edge it to reverso clearly because I've got one right but uh, can I see myself wearing a tank yeah definitely you know the one they released um, recently the black face with like gold that's nice mm. yeah it's just like so you have to admire where beauty is done so simply you know mm. like it's one of the hardest things to do. And not only do you have the beauty, but you have an essence which transmits so strongly, right? I think it's incredibly hard to do. Like we all talk about open work movement, hand finishing. Mm -hmm. When it comes to that kind of design, nowhere to hide. I think only a very few watchers manage to really, really, you know, pull it off. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know you love Vacheron. Like, it's probably one of your favorite brands, right? But um, with, the, with this brand, with so much history, um, why do you think it just hasn't gotten that much attention as compared to Patek and Rolex? Oh, interesting. I would say that 
perhaps it's the marketing as well. And mm. that um, maybe bluntly put, they did not have the, the sports watch, right? Mm. So I believe the fame from or AP or Patek mm-hmm. was actually from the Royal Oak and the Nautilus respectively. And it got people interested with, I would like to think, it, think of it that way, at least. So I think Vacheron recently picked up a lot of steam, which we will all agree, right? Yeah. That they picked up a lot of interest, a lot of steam. Some people say it's a spillover because they can't get Royal Oak and Nautilus, sure. But to me, it's also because the overseas lineup has finally consolidated as well. Yeah. And when it first started, I believe it was 1977 when the 222 came out, was it? Mm. So back then, that was their, that was Vashon's answer to the AP, Royal Oak and Nautilus, right? Mm-hmm. But then they changed, right? Then you have the Overseas 1, then you have the Overseas 2, which I have, which I love the 8, I love the 8 spokes bezel. Mm. To, to finally today's Overseas, they call it Overseas 3, where it's a 6 spokes bezel. Mm. And I think they seem to be finally decide that, okay, this Overseas 3 is going to be our thing for the sports watch. And they doubled down with Perpetual, Ultra Thin, right? And mm. this, that's probably my favorite of the Overseas. And then you have the Two Beyonds and recently the Skeletonized Two Beyond. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel much of it has to do with um, how the market responds. And I think the market definitely responds to the sports model first. Mm-hmm. And then people start digging deeper. At least that's in my opinion. Um, but then I think what Vashon is doing very well now is, and it's actually in their favor, that new vintage is all the rage, as we know, right? And they've got such a long history and cool shapes and sizes like Cartier. Mm-hmm. So you have your American 1921. Mm-hmm which is the driver's watch, also asymmetric. And you also have the triple calendar. You also have the, uh, my favorite actually, the Condebach, right? Mm-hmm. With the horn locks. Mm-hmm. So for me, they even gave it a separate collection called the Historics, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe this two-prong approach is also why they are gaining a lot of steam, right? Clearly you have one arm that caters to the new vintage slash classic watch lovers but you also have the sports model arm which I think definitely goes hand in hand and I think that's something that Patek actually did quite well as to whether AP for example on that note whether AP has a dress watch that you can think of that is cool that is you know equivalent fame and technical competency as the Royal Oak I'm not sure yet Mm-hmm. Maybe what I can think of now is the code 1159 uh, Skeleton to Beyond. I think that's probably that one watch that I, I really love from the code series. But other than that, I can't really think of any from for AP. Yeah. Okay. But what would you classify a dress watch to be though? Because like 1159, do you call a dress watch a dress watch because it's got leather strap? Because you wouldn't classify like a Royal Oak with a leather strap as a dress watch. And I think when you look at the code 1159, yeah, the dimensions of that watch to me aren't really dressy because it's quite thick, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we have to like evaluate is 
what is a dress watch? I don't think anymore you can say, yeah, you put a leather strap on it. It's a, it's a dress watch. It, I don't think it exhibits any, well, it doesn't exhibit strongly the core values of what I think a dress watch are. Like if you were, if you were photographing that uh, watch, silly, I don't think your essence would be a dress watch, right? Because even the lugs, let's say, are skeletonized as well, which is not really dressy either. Right, you're right. Actually, at least um, maybe that was a bit more of a sweeping statement. And what what I saw of it was how AP represented or how they portray. I could be analyzing this wrongly, but of course, bluntly put, there's a sports model for every of the Swiss Trinity, right? Or any watch brand, mm -hmm. there is the dress watch arm and the mm -hmm. sports model segment. Yeah. So then, to AP's case they only have the two main watches. I mean, they used to have the Jules Audemars range, mm. right? Yeah. That is, I would say that is definitely dress watch. Yeah. But then, whether the coat is, I agree with you, it's all in rather, you know, sizable diameters, like 41mm, 42mm. Uh, I would not consider that a dress watch size. But then mm. again, maybe just to throw the question out, just curious, right? So as we all know, Patek with their 5270 is at 41mm. Would you say that, you know, in the same size, the coat? So then I guess it's a good point where you brought up being on the leather strap, does it make it a dress watch? I guess it's also what uh, Long Long asked, right? Is what is the essence behind that design, right? The coat 1159, just because it's on a strap. But actually you would say it still looks rather sporty right you will agree that it still looks rather aggressive in a sense because it still has the octagonal sides right mm -hmm. so what do you guys think do you think the 5270 uh, is veering towards the sporty would you consider that a sports watch for example definitely okay, for not. me yeah i would yeah, i would agree with long long there for me that's dress right it because must. like i'm looking for a level of refinement and yeah in a piece that let's say yeah kind of weird but if i was to wear it with a suit yeah or something like that it wouldn't look out of place i think size wise it's, it's a hard i think it's a hard argument to say dress watches are limited to an x amount of size because there's so many different shapes and sizes of human beings right um but i when i think of a dress watch i think of like about how it accessorizes with everything else I'm not saying that you know code 1159 can't work but it just doesn't have that level of refinement that when i say refinement i don't want to be misunderstood here i'm not talking about quality or finishing i'm talking about the feeling mm. right that that watch gives you Agreed. um yeah hmm. yeah i mean i'm not gonna argue that i think the paddock one i mean it doesn't matter the size you can enlarge it or even reduce the size just the refinement and the detail um even if you put it on a bracelet it just looks like a dress watch uh, with the okay what, what about if you put it on a rubber strap rubber strap it will look pretty bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah Oh. that's a that's a good that's a good question and a good case yeah. in point and the fact that rubber would be very sporty and yet when you put it on a rubber strap 
the watch doesn't seem to work. But could you say the same argument with the code 1159? It might work, right? Or even the fabric strap, you know. I mean, it does work with the fabric strap, you know. But the code is trying to be versatile, right? Yes. Do we yeah. know that? Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the direction. Well, I, I think the code was supposed to like cater towards a mass, like more market, you know, well, mass, right? And they look, needed to get away and they needed the product line to take, to develop away from the Royal Oak. Mm. So I think, yeah, that's the, the main thing. I mean, if we just take this back conversation a little bit, which was about Vacheron. The original question was about Vacheron. Mm. I I think as well, you know, it was the marketing that, you know, is the reason why it didn't gain as much attention as Patek and, and you know, AP. Mm. Um, because marketing is the communication, you know, of your company, of your brand, of your product to a certain person and what they perceive of that, right? So... Is, to me, it not getting the recognition is either the product or the communication. Um, the story behind the overseas is just not as romantic as the Royal Oak and the Patek Nautilus. Mm -hmm. But then also the product, arguably, you could say isn't. Even if it's as the same, you know, it still has to work a lot more to gain attraction from to take your attention from those two other pieces it can't, mm. it's not good enough to be at the same level mm. yeah it's you have to be a lot better to even think about it with the 222 personally i think that design is is great i think they that you know they should have stuck with that i think that the, the high interest in vacheron is also partly that with traditionalists preferring that to the overseas mm. because there's a there's a level of refinement if we if we talk about royal oak and we talk about nautilus right I would say, it's my opinion, that the most accomplished of them are the original thin ones. So the 15202s. And once you start making a Nautilus or a Rolex thick and you lose those dimensions, it doesn't feel the same. And I think anybody that's handled these pieces knows what I'm talking about. Mm. With the overseas, it's quite thick, right? The bezel's pretty like substantial. And I think with the 222, this is really thin. And with that thin comes a, a, an elegance to the watch that is immediately gained just by the thinness. So I think that's a, a reason why Vacheron perhaps is getting more interest. Second one, I think they did really great with um, the Everest. So they marketed it and it brought a lot of attention. So I agree with you, Julie, like the, you had the sports watch, the Everest. Again, great story. Right, great story selling the watch product's pretty cool, right? And then you have this kind of more again, still sports watch, but dressier version, the 222 coming in. You know as well as I do that they're gonna bring a steel one in eventually, right? Mm. So yeah, that's gonna be hot. <laughs> I think the two 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 is gonna be hot already. Yeah, because I think they're yeah. already controlling production to increase demand, right? But everything in Vacheron now is just hot. Like there isn't a single one that you can just buy. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, okay. okay, final question is more about you being a collector. How have you seen yourself evolve as a collector? And where do you see your collection or taste moving towards? 
Mm, I would say that my collecting style or the kind of watches that I collect are a little modern. I would say my taste veers towards the modern side. Mm. Uh, why I say that, uh, give a good example, my my grill, I mean, a watch that I would love to have is the Patek uh, 5370, the, mm. the modern oh, speed seconds, it. right? Love it. Specifically, the black doll, not the blue. Yep, love it. Yep. Love it. And black it's enamel it. just yeah. has something, right? It's just out of the world. And with the applied yeah. breaker yeah. indices, gosh. Yeah. yeah. But then a lot of people will criticize and say, oh, 41 mm, you know, they could have made it smaller. Yes, of course, they have made it smaller before. Why couldn't mm-hmm. they do it? But mm-hmm. which is also why, if you ask me amongst the Patek uh, perpetual chronographs, which of, of course they're famous for. Mm-hmm. My favorite of the iterations are actually, is actually the 5970, mm-hmm. not the 5270, but the 5970, because for me, proportion-wise, it fits me the best. So I would say, at the end of the day, I, I like watches that bluntly put, or maybe a bit superficial to say this, but just looks great on me, right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't want a watch that you feel like is wearing you. Same for clothes, right? You, you look at someone, mm-hmm. you feel like, the clothes or the suit is wearing them or the dress is wearing them. Mm-hmm. And for me, you have to feel absolutely natural with mm-hmm. wearing the watch. Mm-hmm. So always, that's my basis. Mm-hmm. And moving forward, um, but I, like all human beings, I get influenced and, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's friends, and thanks thanks to guys like Eva Long Long, um, definitely Jack as well. You know, you see that uh, I do see my collection veering towards vintage a bit more mm. and having actually handled watches recently like um, 5004A mm. the stainless steel sweet seconds yeah. from my buddy and I, I can see the appeal and the romantic idea the romantic advertising and why Patek is so successful Mm. which is also why I started looking a bit more into vintage projects. Definitely late to the game, I know. But uh, but yeah, I do see myself going towards a little more vintage. Not because the recent modern releases are not good enough, but that I think it's just to diversify my collection a bit more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I'm probably going towards maybe looking into more vintage which, as we all know, is a very different world altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and on that point, congrats to Daniel. You recently joined Philips, was that right? That's correct. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you for congrats. that. Yeah. Congrats. And uh, yeah. so I guess I can get some tips from you at some point. But well, yeah, it's uh, funny. It's, yeah, it's definitely funny you mentioned that because that is part of the reason why, actually a big reason why I joined Philips is because... Um, I think we all here know you can learn X amount by reading about watches, talking to collectors, but if you really want to know, you need to handle them. Right. Yep. And um, with vintage watches, you, it's the same thing. You have to handle them and what better place to do it than at an auction house where they also have a lot of data, a lot of that historic stuff, a lot of access. And I think that was the natural progression for me to, um, go into like just your experience with the 5004a already changed 
a little bit how you know you thought and saw the piece right can you imagine that if you saw all of that all the time how your eye would change like how your eye would pick up different details the balance of the dials the dimensions the mm. ratios and everything like that and then you have to as, a, as an essay writer you know the story side how you conceptualize that right into the history of watchmaking i think the whole combination of it is very enticing um so i kind of see it as an area that you know i'm i would also put my hand up and say i'm not the strongest at but it's a place that yeah i i feel really strong and uh, like i'm really strongly passionate about and want to learn more but yeah feel free to hit me up. anybody feel free to hit me up on stuff and i'll be happy to go and find out for everybody uh, i will don't worry i'll send some questions <laughs> over <laughs> like, okay okay um let's now go to the reverse around do you have any questions for me and dan yeah uh but then now that you know maybe just as an extension of the last point now that you'll be in contact with so many grill watchers would you ever do you think you get numb or do you think you might lose interest or burn out is that your worry well that that that's actually you know I feel like I reached a plateau um, where I met a lot of collectors. A lot of stories seem to overlap. The pieces uh, I had seen a lot. You know, the whole point of, let's say, Shanghai Watch Gang was selfishly, you know, was to see more pieces. You know, that was definitely part of the factor. A lot of pieces that I couldn't afford. And you know, you've mentioned earlier on in this podcast, you saw a Richard Mill and you started to understand what the Richard Mill was about. And then you saw, oh, it's worth it and stuff. But then I think if you see it a lot longer, there are watches that will maintain that reputation in your mind. Like once you see it, maybe even twice you see it. But can it be sustained like the 10th time where your interest is still so keen to see it? And I'm very fortunate to have yeah, seen these pieces and eventually a lot of pieces you do become numb to. And then you're really looking for stuff. Okay, is it exclusive or is it actually rare? And when it comes to vintage watches, there's still a lot that even the auction house admits that they, they don't know existed. You know, things still come up which are so rare that they didn't know existed. Then you have like actual numbers like 5004A. I think you're looking at 50 plus pieces globally, worldwide, you know, definitely less than 100, probably not even 80. Um, to even think, you know, to even, we have to take a step back to even think, you know, you could handle one in your lifetime is pretty crazy, right? Or to meet somebody like that. And it just shows the power of Instagram where you can connect with collectors and they can feel so comfortable to lend you the watch. Um, but vintage watches, 1518s, 2499s. I mean, even if a collector has that, how often are they going to bring that out for you to see? And to actually see that day in, day out, right? And really, yeah, bond with the watches. That's another reason to, to go to Philips and, and to learn it from, yeah, the best. Yeah, so that's, that's the reason. Um, but to, yeah, to answer your question, yes, you do get numb. 
you get numb to many things uh to some extent i think longer would agree right we never thought about this but doing this podcast you know you're speaking about watches every single week it's like you know that it does hit a barrier sometimes where mm-hmm. you think oh you know it's not that easy yeah um which people don't fully appreciate yeah but it's yeah. about trying to find on the next thing and i think it's also okay for any collectors out there to if you're not sure just stop right find your path find your direction and take your time don't make any like rash things try and find your own voice and search the way through because that's exactly what's happened to me on numerous occasions mm. yeah all right so he's just checking himself out there no <laughs> wait no so, i bored him to death like no no <laughs> all great points all great points yeah because having shot uh, quite a few watches already and i i do sometimes i have to admit that i do sometimes feel okay the minute there are days that you you don't feel like shooting or there are days that you don't feel like thinking about watches mm-hmm. but then but then that's just us i feel being human um being in contact with the same subject matter all the time and i think uh, what you which is that's my question right whether it's uh, you joining philips or whether then joining philips or whether you guys doing this podcast will you ever get burnt out uh, i'm curious actually as to how you guys continue to find that inspiration to want to do what you do about watches right i think um well it's great being paid <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not getting paid, everyone. Just kidding. We, we knew it. We knew it. <laughs> um okay. So I think in the beginning, well, it first started off before Jack came on. Me and Dan have a very similar philosophy, right? Do everything at least 100 hours, according to Tim Ferriss, I believe. And uh let's see how it goes from there. And then when you pass the 100 hour mark, you kind of start to get so into it that you're just trying to tweak and always improving. Um, and then it kind of like, I can't answer for Dan, but for me, it definitely became a very selfish kind of creative outlet for me to kind of just do like therapy, to laugh, to talk to people and to connect with people. I think outside of the podcast, I wouldn't even dare say hi on Instagram to them. I wouldn't even dare to even react to their story. So like most of the time, I would say it's actually Dan and Jack who would approach them. And the people I have approached like you are largely people I actually know outside of the podcast. And um, so there is zero like, I, I can't remember the last time I thought, damn, I really can't be bothered to do it. Like it, it's basically the highlight of my week. I look forward to it. I look forward to editing it. And I look forward to like listening to some bits of it and still laughing. Because in every episode that people hear, that's about an hour plus. If it's the ones with Jack, me and Dan, there's a high chance there's at least another 30 minutes before that's been cut out. That's just tons of rubbish and laughing. So I always go back and listen to that. And it kind of makes me go like, oh, okay. Like something special, like a special friendship got formed here but we just never stop to really think about it. So when I edit it, I go, well, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. All right. Now we got to move to the quick fire. We've asked what the first question. So I'm going to change the first question. 
Okay, aside from photograph uh photographing watches, what's your favorite thing to photograph? Food. Specifically, food? yeah, food. Specifically sushi, maybe. Mm, yes, yes. Okay, watch you enjoyed photographing the least. AP. <laughs> oh, right. chronograph. Yeah. Sorry? Right. Is it the chronograph? No, uh, because of how difficult they are to shoot uh, with the bracelet, actually. Ooh, okay. Favorite restaurant in Singapore? <sighs> this is tough for you. Damn. Being a glutton and being about 89 <laughs> kg, I would say. Don't give my weight out. Okay, all right. Okay, it's Les God, okay. Whose body do you like admiring more? Yours or your wife's? <laughs> That's not going on. That's not going out there, right? <laughs> okay, let's just say it's Paralux's body. Okay. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> your Grail watch. Patek 5370, yeah. Okay, um... If you could only choose one thing, good wine or good food? Good wine. <gasps> no way. Okay. Aside from Harlux, are there any other IG accounts we should follow? Watch candies. Okay. Speaking of Harlux, do you think pangolins or dogs are cuter? It's okay. He won't listen to this episode. <laughs> but I will definitely share this part with him. <laughs> You, you got to give a bit of context, right? So, Horlux really loves pangolins. So, definitely Sorry, dogs. Huh? Pangolins. It's like, yeah. it's kind of like armadillo, but it's not. <laughs> and you better not say it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's an animal. That it's looks it's like an animal. An armadillo. Yeah. That looks like yeah. an armadillo. But you cannot say it's an armadillo because these pangolin <laughs> lovers will kill you. There's a huge difference. Is it a pet? <laughs> It's not a pet. It's like the most offensive Dude. thing. It's like it's like saying a dolphin is a pet. They are like endangered, uh, very cute. Oh, you know. okay. You know, is that a Singaporean endangered. thing? No, no, it's uh, not. it's an endangered animal. Yeah, it's an endangered. Okay. Yeah, in Africa. Shit, I sound so uncultured now. No, please go and visit. <laughs> I had no idea what they were until I saw this uh, Harlux's page. I thought it was an armadillo. And nice. I think the day that I told him that, hey, I ate armadillo by accident, like I could see his face just <laughs> dying. And I was like, okay, yeah. next. Okay, favorite quote you either love or live by? Wow. Um, favorite quote. Come on, you know so many songs uh, are <laughs> Yeah, I would say he's like Pinterest quotes. Right no, no. Wow, that is. I think he's got decision paralysis. I think he. Yeah, there so there are quite things. a few. Yeah. It could it could actually be the Fight Club one. I don't I don't know if you guys know right. Uh, the the only one that comes to mind now. I mean, I I love a good quote once in a while, but. The only one I can think of now is probably the Fight Club one where um, Brad Pitt in his in the movie says something about you you pay you pay or you work your life 
off for a job that you don't love just to earn the money to buy the things to impress the people that don't matter yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, something about that. And it just reminds you of how the state of, just reminds me of how the state of things are mm-hmm. today and mm-hmm. can be, that can be, not that it necessarily is, but mm-hmm. it's a good reminder, especially with how we are constantly uh, bombarded with images. Now that I'm actually using Instagram, mm-hmm. I, I definitely do feel uh, sometimes that I I like, I never liked, for example, I'll put it out there. Mm. I've never liked an F.E. John, for example. Mm. The design never really spoke out to me. But, you know, now that, you know, IG is bombarding us with it or everyone is saying it's great. Mm. Yes, I, I, I then I realized, you know, the mechanics of it is great with the resonance and all that. But but then I find myself liking F.E. John now, you know, on hindsight, you'd be thinking, oh, okay, it's actually... So we do get influenced. So I think um, we just have to be a bit more... I think the quote is not to disparage anything, but more of a call to be more discerning, mm-hmm. to think about um, what really matters to you in life. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was not really a quick fire, but it was more of an extension of that. Yeah. No, that's, that's nice. So last question is, one person you would love to meet, dead or alive? Oh. Uh, Bruce Lee actually really yeah okay Okay. yeah Bruce Lee interesting all right that ends the episode for today thank you again for coming on and I really hope you enjoyed that (laughs) you can stop smiling now (laughs) thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure to uh, finally meet you or yeah via zoom I guess likewise Um, nice mm. to meet you Daniel you can find Zuli on his IG page at Happy 60 Minutes. And as always, you can find Dan, Jack, and myself on the Instagram page at The Waiting List Podcast. See you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. As always, thank you for listening to The Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at The Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.